talk about no priorities. That's K-N-O-W priorities. I'm Randy Skopasek, and in this podcast, we'll talk with people in the industry about product prioritization. Our guest today is Mr. Justin Jackson. Justin was gracious enough to be our first guest on this podcast series. Now, to sum up Justin, uh, he likes to make stuff. (laughs) In addition to building several products, such as Marketing for Developers and the Product People Club, he hosts two podcasts and writes extensively. When he's not working, he's chasing his four kids and spending time with his wife. He blogs at justinjackson.ca, and you can find him on Twitter at mijustin. Obviously, the most critical question to ask here uh, to start with is, did you find out how to say creeper in French? (laughs) (laughs) I love, like, my my kids are in French immersion, and so... I wonder if he asked his teacher. I the the French people in my audience were quick to reply and say that anything that's kind of computer related or video game related, they just use the English equivalent. So they would just say creeper because that's <laughs> what they're hearing on YouTube and everything else. But okay. I loved my son is hilarious. He's Yeah, that was good. I, I have four kids and <laughs> they're all amazing and hilarious in their own way. Uh, but Marty is has a special gift for asking the most like crazy things out of left field. He has a a Twitter account called Stuff Marty Said. Well, I, I saw that and I I was like, that's been around here for a while. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, hilarious. It's, it's not really his Twitter account because I it's yeah. just me controlling it. But yeah, I uh, I I've uh, anytime he says something funny, I try to record it there. Okay, cool. Well, um, just to kind of jump in a little bit to the subject matter of this, um, the we're trying to focus on product or prioritizing with people. And I know when I've said that before, you're kind of like, okay, what do you mean? Um, you know, because <laughs> it's such a generic topic to say that. And when I've talked to other people about prioritizing and what that means, they're like, what do you do? Okay, well, you know, you, you got to talk to people. Okay. And then you got to sit down and, and set your priorities and, and move on. You got to make progress. Like, okay, well, how do you do that? Well, you just, you just do it. Like, okay. That doesn't help me when I'm trying to talk to other people and, and um, see how to make things better and stuff like that. So the first actual question, <laughs> if I can, yeah. is what are your thoughts uh, about the following two statements? The product is a subject used to make people happier Hence, it's about people, not products. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think for me especially, what I've always felt like I'm an odd person in the uh, tech world and the product world because the, the way I'm wired is um, I think I, I'm wired for relationships. Mm-hmm. And so the way I always kind of viewed things was through the lens of people. How do people want to use this? What are the patterns with people, what am I seeing? You know, what are the trends I see when I go to a conference and I see everyone open up their laptop? What do they, you know, open up first when 
you sit in the back of the room and you look at them, you know, all kind of logging into different things. (laughs) That's what interests me. And I think, um, you know, products on their own are, can have technical merits. Um, they can have, you know, a viral coefficient. They can have all these, uh, attributes, but at the end of the day, what makes or break a pro makes or breaks a product is whether people will use it, whether people want it. And so that, that's been the more interesting nut for me to crack. Um, I, I'm probably not as interested in the technical side of things. I'm, I'm more mm-hmm. interested in, you know, why do people want to use this? What, you know, what is their interest? What is going to get them to switch from what they're already using? What's going to get them to reach into their pocket and pull out their MasterCard and put in a bunch of numbers on the internet and you know buy that thing that you're selling. Uh, those are the things that are interesting to me, and uh, I think yeah. a lot of the fear that product people have, um, I don't think they realize it. But the the gap is that they don't understand the people part. Yeah, which is why you're making marketing for developers, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and don't launch to crickets and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So that's, the, I mean, and it's interesting, right? Because uh, I've always related with technical people. All my friends are technical people. Um, you know, I've I have enough. Um, I, what did I say today? I, I said to somebody, "I'm a neckbeard disguised as a marketer" or something like that. <laughs> like I, there, there's part of that, you know, technical geeky stuff that I love, uh, but I'm. Um, I'm definitely, um, I wouldn't, I would never describe myself as a developer, but that's, uh, it seems to be, you know, when I pulled my list, um, I should probably do another one, but the last survey I did of my mailing list, I think it's like 60, 70% software developers. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's this big group of people and I think it's because we're product people. We like to make things and, you know, for me, my gap would be technical but for other people, they can do the technical stuff just fine. It's the, it's the understanding people part that's the gap. Yeah. And so, and you're helping to balance that out in the industry. That, that's <laughs> right. I want to close that gap. Uh, I think the dirty secret that like, um, people like me don't want developers to know is that um, it's much easier for developers to learn marketing skills than it is for a uh, marketer to learn development skills. Yeah, but it, it's still habits. I mean, you, if you take a developer and you're trying, okay, well, you gotta you gotta keep promoting this, and you gotta you gotta be on top of these things, and you gotta drip email, and you gotta you know, whatever the subject matter is. You're like, no, I just want to program this thing. I I need it out there, but I want to want to build this thing. I want yeah. customers. I want the money, but I, yeah, totally. It's that and, habit of left field. Yeah, I think we all kind of struggle with that though too. Yeah. We it's it's easy to get stuck in the weeds. And to, you know, just, um, even like, you know, I'm working on this book right now and I had a good two weeks of writing every day. And then I had like five days where I haven't written anything and it's easy for us to lapse into, you know, working on stuff or focusing on stuff. That's really not the work. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the work is writing code and sometimes the work is, um, getting out of your comfort zone and, and this is hard for me too. It's, I think it's hard for everybody, but getting out of your comfort zone and actually putting something that you're thinking about making or something that you've made 
or a prototype out into the world so people can actually respond to it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's that is the the big challenge is is it's you know it's it's a lot easier for us to just deal with you know code that is all on our machine and it's we only see it in our you know our protected dev environments impersonal and it's absolute to a certain yeah. extent <laughs> and and then all of a sudden putting it out so a real human being could criticize it uh you oh, know yeah. that petrifies us and um but on that the only way you can have a product is to put it out and that's so that that is the scary part so now once a product is out there and it, so I mean, you've got a bunch of people there i uh don't really have a good explanation about how much is a bunch of people. There's, there's kind of this small group level where if you can fit everyone around a table um, and feed them with a couple pizzas, kind of like the Amazon strategy, mm-hmm. that it, like the laws of physics kind of break down. If you can fit them around a table, a lot of the other things go away. How to prioritize things is you, everyone is per se there, so you can just get it get it over with easily all the communication stuff you can typically get out at the table um but once you start getting a bunch of people around a product um i won't just say a product you can also have this around an organization like an organizational strategy but i know focusing on products here for a sec what do you think are actually the hardest parts of having a product that you want to progress and so you need some improvement from someone like a customer says, I I've got this brand new idea. It's not even on the table. No one has it. No one, no one's aware of it. I just, I want you to improve the product, this marginal thing. It'll take you Mm -hmm. a couple of months to do. And they got to get that through the gate all the way until it's actually done or it gets dropped off or or whatever. Mm -hmm. But that's still the process where eventually it has to get prioritized. Eventually it has to have enough weight it has to have enough people enough support enough people in agreement for it so Mm -hmm. what do you find is the hardest part or what do you think is the hardest parts of making that prioritization happen with a bunch of people yeah well i mean one thing i think is acknowledge that uh prioritization is variable it it depends on a lot of things um you know one example is um you know, my, my friend Nathan Barry says he's much more likely to do an interview on a podcast if someone just asks him that day than if they ask him to book way ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason is for him, like booking something, you know, two months ahead, it's just like this unknown, like, well, I don't know what I'm going to be doing in two months. I might be traveling in Indonesia or whatever. But if you, you know, private messaged me that day and say, hey, you want to chat this afternoon? It, it's a lot easier for me to just go, oh, yeah, sure. I, yeah, I, I feel like doing that. I, I don't feel like doing that. And I think it's similar with products sometimes. Um, you know, sometimes somebody suggests an idea. Uh, and I've worked with a bunch of software as a service companies, you know, where it, as the product manager, where an idea will come through that day and the whole team will just get so excited about it that we'll mm-hmm. just implement it right away. And it's, you know, it gets, you know, built, tested, now, what if that deployed takes a long time to build. So like, you know, you you everyone's championing that idea like that why haven't we done this? Why hasn't anyone thought about this? But 
then it's like, well, you know, this is literally going to take us three months to build it. So you can't just have that instant turnaround. Because those are easy. Yeah, it's interesting because as soon as you frame it like that, it kind of goes back to that Nathan Barry thing. You know, when he knows something is three months out, it it just becomes that much more daunting, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think one thing we could say is that um, prioritization is somewhat elastic depending on what the commitment is. Uh, Because if something is going to take a long time and there's no way that you can do it without, you know, putting in two or three months of work, well, man, that's just, that that is a lot harder, right? Yeah. Uh, especially if you're, you know, we do quarterly planning. At, I have this uh, one client uh, called Sprintly, and we do quarterly planning. So, you mm-hmm. know, we're setting out things in a roadmap, you know, three months at a time. And, you know, if you came to me and said, okay, well, we're going to do this, you know, maybe it's an optimization or maybe we're going to rebuild, a, you know, a big part of the app and it's going to take three months. Well, we know while we're already in quarter two and that might we already have a good idea of what quarter three is going to be about. So man, three months, that's going to have to go into quarter four. And all of a sudden, you know, it's way down the road. And as soon as something goes like, you know, is six to nine months away, uh, in my world, the chances of that thing happening goes down quite substantially. So it, it really depends. You know, if this was an urgent, like some sort of urgent refactor where like we needed to rebuild this thing now, because, you know, performance is suffering or, or something, then that obviously we're going to prioritize that. You know, we, we might say, okay, we're going to start on this next sprint next week because if we don't do this, you know, our whole company's done. Um, yeah. But the, especially like just customers that are saying, you know, I would love to have this thing. Um, I've, you know, I, I haven't been able to implement this everywhere, but my favorite way to figure out whether or not you should prioritize it is to ask them if they pay for it. And sometimes, you know, at a previous software company I was at, we were able to get the customer to build, to pay for it. And then we would build it. And that becomes a lot easier to prioritize because they'll no, I I want that, but I'm not going to pay for it. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And I think that the, the unknown is what sometimes pushes, things out too, right? So Mm -hmm. you might not be completely convinced. All of us that have built things know that sometimes people say they want something, but they don't really want it, or they don't really want to pay for it, or they haven't been able to actually articulate what they really want. And um, I, I, you know, I think that that gets tricky. You know, when you get a request from someone who's on a free plan saying, you know, I, I totally pay, you know, $5 a month for this if you guys add this feature. Well, you know that, that that's it, that's a hard signal to kind of figure out. There's still a lot of noise around this. But if an enterprise customer who's paying you three thousand dollars a month came to you and say, you know, listen, we really need this, um, you're there's a lot a bigger chance that you're going to act <laughs> faster, right? Yeah, yeah, because there's some dollars behind it, so you you know exactly. they mean it. Yeah. Here's an here's an example in Canada uh, last. So this would have been two years ago now, mm-hmm. um, or maybe just a year and a half ago. Uh, the Canadian government enacted the Canadian anti-spam legislation. And um, I was working for an email service provider at the time. And when that came down the pipes, like when we knew that that was going to become law, 
that got prioritized real quick. Um, oh. So, like, Casual, um, you know, uh, Casual Features, as we called mm-hmm. them. So, it's Casual's the acronym. Um, you know, that became, that was our entire focus. It was like, we heard it was coming down the pipes one week, and it was like, the next week we started working on that. Because we knew it was going to become law, you know, June 21st, 2014. And if we didn't have it in place, uh, we were going to have a lot of angry customers, and there was also legal uh, action, legal happen. ramifications. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, regulatory tends to get prioritized higher anyway because you're like, it's this or the company or something, you know, some outcome. You've got no clue what's going to cost you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> those those are like that that uh, fireman type thing. The building's burning down. You better fix this. The performance just dropped. You better fix this. It's mm-hmm. to, to me, those are, it is about planning. Um, if you have a lead time more than just like, Oh, we have to fix this today. Cause the whole thing is down, literally down. But some of those short term ones, I'm like, well, it, yeah, it's a priority cause it's important, but sometimes that's just be- a little bit, just leading you along. It's mm-hmm. not like okay, I've you know if you go to a user conference for or sit down or just chat with a bunch of your customers, you're like, what do you think if we took care of this? What is your biggest constraints? What what are your biggest problems that are causing just strife? And you get some consensus and you've got a kind of a direction out of that, then you can set you can help set some priorities based upon that, which are not necessarily just fire tasks that are going to burn down this week or burn down the next week. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 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 The, yeah. All that stuff is still tricky. I think, um, you know, I've been on teams where like we've prioritized a bunch of things that we knew were important to customers. And then, you know, the next week we got downsized. So mm. you, you know, you had 20 people and then all of a sudden you got three. Um, and yeah, those, well, th- those things, scratch. <laughs> yeah, those things affect things too. Yeah. Let me ask you this. What groups of people do you feel get excluded from the process or lost um, as far as providing feedback through proxies? And so let me define what I mean by proxy. Sure. If if you think of a corporate structure for a minute here, um, we normally think, well, having a long or a, a heavy hierarchy is usually a bad thing. You know, stuff gets lost people from grassroots try and talk to their managers and they talk to their managers and such on. Mm-hmm. But at some point that same approach still applies even for your products with customers where your customers, well, they all give all their information to one person and that one person just kind of summarizes what they think. You know, it's very interpretive and then they pass that along to said other person and somewhere in there, you've got a small dev team that sits in and hears from somebody who hopefully knows what <laughs> what everyone else already said and what they meant to say and what they were conveying kind of harmonizing with that uh, with those user groups. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh there, I know it's a deep question. <laughs> well, there's a thing I think there's a few things. Um you know, a lot of products the people with the credit card are not the users. And that's an interesting proxy right there. So that the person paying for the product is not the person actually using the product. And so, mm-hmm. you know, when the, 
that, that, that becomes really difficult because often the people that were, you know, uh, like in mixed panel, mm-hmm. you might be filtering by, okay, show me everyone with a credit card who's used the product in the last six months. And so you might get a list of, you know, a bunch of people with credit card, but they're not actually the ones using the product. They, they just go in and update the billing details every once in a while. And you might, you know, send those people a survey saying, hey, how we're doing? And they might reply and say, oh, you guys are doing great. Um, because all they Thanks. do is go and update the, the billing information. Meanwhile, there's some poor user that's in there every day is, and is frustrated as heck and actually doesn't even have a direct line to the person paying for it. They don't even know that person. They're in a different department. But they're, they're struggling. Mm-hmm. And I think their voice can often get lost. And uh, the way we, you know, these things are sometimes organized is challenging um, because, you know, there's a disconnect between the people who are paying for it and the people who are using it. Is, is that what you mean by proxy? Yes. It's, it's really any time that someone's direct voice is not heard. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other one I see all the time, and this is a tricky one, um, is that the people uh, who are on the phone with the customers all the time and emailing the customers all the time and are hearing things all the time are, are not, um, don't have a direct line to the product manager or mm-hmm. don't have a direct line to the developer. And I actually think there's going to be, I mean... I could be wrong about this because maybe this will never happen. But I, I think customer support people or customer service people are incredibly undervalued right now. And if I was a customer support person right now, I would actually uh, try to get a new job title. I'd try to call myself inside sales mm-hmm. because I think the the data that they're getting, the qualitative data, and if they're smart, they could actually get some quantitative data from interacting with, you know, hundreds of customers every day, that information is definitely getting lost. First of all, because customer support people are devalued in, in most organizations. It's viewed as the starter job or the, you know, the minimum wage job. Mm-hmm. But also because they don't have a voice at the table, um, you know, in maybe traditional scrum, you know, the product owner is usually the product the product manager or the project manager or the engineering lead and often support people don't have a seat at that table. And so the, the, they're just not being heard and they are the ones that are talking to have a direct line to customers every single day. Yeah. Uh, so I think that one is, is, is a huge opportunity for organizations to really empower customer support people to treat them like uh, equal partners in the development process um, and uh, to definitely give them a seat at the table when you know, you're building out a product roadmap. And it, really, a good product manager should be balancing the concerns of the engineering team. So the engineering team saying, you know, we, gotta, we have to rebuild this index or we have to clear out this, you know, this database or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, the business side which should include the customer support team who are saying, listen, every single day, I'm 20% of the people who are emailing us are complaining that we don't have this one feature. And I've, you know, here's a graph of how much those plans are worth to us as a company. And I think that there's a huge economic benefit to us building this thing. 
And if they could even learn the language around um, the language that the rest of the team uh, would kind of respect, like if a, if a customer support person can say, you know what, I think if we don't add this feature, we're at risk of doubling our churn rate. That would hmm. make the rest of the company wake up, right? Oh, and yeah. they're the ones with that data. They're the ones that uh, with the right kind of training could be able to say, you know what, I see what's going on here and w- there's some something, uh, a threat coming down the pipes that the rest of the t- team needs to know about. Yeah, absolutely. There, there was actually... Um it's one one of Jack Welch's books. I think it was winning. One of his employees told him after so many years, like all these years, you had my hands, but you could have had my mind too. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. Like you know, you just didn't ask, and eventually he rolled some stuff out there. But yeah, totally. So, are, are we close to time for you? Uh, no, I actually we're good. Yeah, I. Uh... I, I'm good for another probably 20 minutes. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, so if that's the case, let me, let me toss this one over. It's still in the same group or still in the same subject of what groups of people, what is your perspective of vendors <laughs> generalized about do they or do they not have a level of input? Because usually when we're talking about a product, you, you've got this team and organization that's forward facing it. It's like mm-hmm. on a, a ball court where you've got the customer on one side and the company on the other, and they're going at each other, but you still have other people. You've got your promoters and partners and investors and all these people out there that are sitting in the stands and you know your vendors are basically the ones who are taking care of the grounds and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It, I know it's an oddball question, but what is your perspective of uh, vendors being included in that feedback loop. I don't have as much experience with vendors because in you know the the software as a service stuff I've done is you know usually the let's say the median price plan is a hundred dollars a month, so it's a very direct um, you know we're we're going direct to the customer in most cases, mm-hmm. um, but I think. The, the the only people that uh, well, well actually, do, do you want me to f- frame it in a localized example? So let, let's say this. Sure. I, as, as I understand it, you use uh, Nathan Berry's Convert Kit for some or all of some parts of the the various and vast things that you do. Yeah. So to him, you are his customer. So to a certain extent, he cares about his customers. So he cares about you in extension, or at least the the things that you do. And so it is in somewhat his best interest to have some customer relationship and understanding with you and be in alignment with that. Um, when, when I used to work at uh, uh, Wally World, Sam's Club Wally World, mm-hmm. I, there was something I learned there that was just, it, it was a bit off-putting at the time. There's not too many companies that actually enforce this, but they were in a good place of doing this where all of their vendors that provide the uh, products for the shelves, mm-hmm. they actually built a set of tools. Um, reporting is the maybe the least of them or whatever, but mm-hmm. and provided those to them and did some kind of interactions. They're basically like, look, 
we're surviving and we're progressing. We can't progress any further without some other assistance from you. Now that that was their other channel, but to me, there's still a little bit like, even if you don't totally value your vendors, you know, maybe they don't care to be involved, but I know in some of these smaller uh, company relationships where you, know, you see people like Nathan, you see people like Amy, you see people you know, like yourself and, and the others out there in the industry who truly care about their customers and their products. They're like, you, you kind of have a little bit more vested interest than the large enterprise where maybe you have a sales account rep and they just, they just want to make sure that you're paying them mm-hmm. um, yep. or processing things. Um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, are you asking like, what's the role of vendors? Like if I had a product company, what's the role of, um, like if I had any kind of, uh, salespeople or affiliate people or, um, maybe other kind of stakeholders, what's their role in the like prioritization process? Yeah. So if, if you're using ConvertKit as a specific example, you're using ConvertKit to work along with one of the products that you currently have. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're trying to think through prioritizing what the next steps are. Yeah, you're talking to your customers too. Do you ever include Nathan in? I, I, I know there's that balance between, well, you know, he's also a friend of yours and such, so you might get some general mm-hmm. advice, but he's also a vendor in that sense. So, Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah um, totally. Well, so th- there's a bit of a gray line here now, especially because now we have, you know, all these web services too. And mm-hmm. so, like in in a lot of the things I've built, especially because I'm a hack, I'm I'm building a lot of my products on abstractions, right? Like I'm building. I, I have a, a membership site that's built on WordPress with uh, another. A service called Memberful, mm-hmm. which is just a wrapper on top of Stripe, and so um, you know those are all vendors in this one product I have called Product People Club, mm-hmm. and I mean there's even more. There's Mailchimp uh, in there as well. Um, I'm trying to think if I use anything else. There's Slack. Um, there's a bunch of plugins. Um, so it gets a little bit gray. It's not like it's not like it used to be, right? It used mm-hmm. to be. Your your vendors, if you were Walmart, your vendors are you know uh, the toilet paper company and everything else, right? <laughs> um, so I think that gets a little bit gray, uh, and there's there's a couple different there's a a couple ways to think about this, and I'm actually also now now I'm thinking about this also in a, a SaaS uh, situation where. Mm-hmm. You have a web app, but you're using all these tools. You're using GitHub. You're using, you know, continuous integration services. Um, we use uh, with Sprintly. We use something called Pusher that handles all of our push notifications. Yeah, yeah, um, And so, like, that's a huge deal, right? Amazon mm-hmm. Web Services, like, that's a huge deal because now we are uh, dependent on this patchwork of services. Uh, and they don't all live in our server room anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a there's a few different perspectives I have on this. One is you know as I'm building new things, um, I'm talking to my vendors a lot because I want like for example ConvertKit, uh, you know I'm pushing the envelope there on what I can do with that, 
and I want, there's new things I need in order to serve my customers better, in order to build new products. Um, and so, you know, I, with ConvertKit, uh, Gumroad's another example. I, I mean, for a while there, they must have been going crazy because I'm emailing them every week saying, I really wish I could do this with your product because my customers mm-hmm. uh, would like this thing. Um, and in order for me to get there, I need you guys to build in this thing, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one perspective. The other perspective is... Uh, because we're relying on these services, if something goes wrong with one of those services, if Amazon you know, Web Services goes down, that's a big deal. That affects a lot of things you know, in terms of how we deliver our service to our customers. And um, you know, there might even be something in the way of like we want to... You know, we want to prioritize this feature, but we just can't do it yet because they don't offer that ability. Um, those are those are all big conversations, and, and, and kind of increasingly, they happen more and more and more because it's now it's not like I'm just running a server under my desk. It's like I've got all of these other services, and um, you know, I I want them to do more for me, and um, you know from their side, they might be like, well, we want you to, you know, do this for us. Uh, and, you know, there could be all sorts of things there too, right? Uh, there could be even things like when I'm doing, this week with Gumroad, I'm helping them out with a small product lab. Um, yeah, I think I remember reading Kind that. of wor- workshop, yeah. So it, it kind of goes both ways. Sometimes they have requests of us as customers and... Um, you know that there, it's it's a lot, I, and it, it becomes like a partnership. Like I've got so much invested, for example, now with ConvertKit that I don't really want to switch to anything else because I've got this kind of direct line, and you know I'm talking to him, he's talking to me. We're like going back and forth, and then you know things kind of get moved along. Uh, and now if I switch to someone else, I'd have to rebuild that relationship. Yeah, but it's good you have a good relationship like that with with the vendor, not to trivialize that uh, there are people behind it. Yeah, I, I think that's good. To me, that is what's going to become even more important is, like, I get these emails from uh, Mixpanel, uh, you know, customer advocates and Google Analytics, customer analytics, and I hate talking to those people. Um, they email me all the time. They want to jump on a call. I just can't stand talking to those people. Because uh, so they're a vendor. They want they want you know me to jump on the call and get more engaged or something. And I I I just don't find very much value in that because I know they're going to be gone in two weeks or they're going to be gone next year. But actually, that's a good question I'd like to ask because is it you don't want to spend time with them because you feel like whatever you have to say will not have an outcome. You know, even if they turned over someone every single week and I've got, I've got my own vendors that I, I basically count, okay, you're the person for this month or you're the person for this quarter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, even if they have a quick turnaround, if you have a meeting with them and like, dude, this is just terrible. I need this fixed or I need whatever. I need this to improve my own business and they mm-hmm. mark it down and they work it through their own internal prioritization and it gets done, wouldn't 
you still be more open to taking their calls even if they have a higher turnover rate? Mm. I mean, because isn't it more that you feel like nothing is going to happen out of that call? Yeah, that could be a piece of it. I Although I think... There's something about this longevity of having, you know, I even think about like old school business, like Main Street, old, you know, small town. Um, you know, when I growing up, I can remember my dad bringing me to the bank and he was going to mi- visit his banker, Olaf, you know, and that was the banker he dealt with with his business for 20 years or something like that. And you know, as long as Olaf was there, he was not going to switch to a different bank. He was not. There's just something about this. Um, there's something comforting about being able to go to the same person over and over and over again. I, I have a favorite coffee shop here in Vernon, and mm-hmm. if you know the if the owner's not there, I almost don't want to go in. Um, and maybe this is just me. I, I recognize well, that not it's everybody. A relationship thing. Yeah, not everyone maybe values that as much, but you know. I I don't want to have a call with Mixpanel and for them to like they've got a few scribbled notes on what we do and who I am and you know how long we've yeah. been a customer. Like I want to I want the person that you know has been with us for 5 10 years and you know they know our business and we've had many conversations and you know they I really deeply understand the struggles we have and they kind of deeply understand the opportunities they have as a vendor to you know, provide something for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I just, I, yeah, well, I, you're a people person. You like that relationship part. And I yeah. do too with some of my vendors. Some of them don't just never have that. Yeah. I mean, maybe here's a flip, uh, another example though, which maybe proves your point, which is, um, I pay a lot of money to WP engine every month. Mm-hmm. Um, at some points, it's depending on how much traffic I've got. It's up to $200, which is quite expensive for WordPress hosting. And um, the reason I stick with them is that every time I need customer support, they have this live chat widget, and it just pulls down whoever's available. It's a different person each time. But I, I know that if I have a problem, I can go into that thing, I can ask them, and they'll resolve it. And... Um, and that's a different person each time. I, I don't have a relationship with any of those people. So I think in that sense, you're right. It depends on a lot of things. Uh, although as a background, I'll say a big reason I started using WP Engine is I felt like I had this relationship with Jason Cohen through his writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, maybe for me, there's always going to be this bigger arc of having some sort of relationship with a person. Yeah. But I, if things are getting done, I think you're right. Like in certain contexts, you know, you'll stick with some with a, a vendor just because they're just they you know get it done. I mean, because still, they're getting it done. I think you still want that relationship anyway. Um, it just it makes it easier because you have at least a person or a group of people that are harmonizing with you, with resonating with you, resonating with your business. And yeah, Here, here's a do. here's an email I would respond to from Mixpanel. Okay. If they, if, you know, Clarice or James or whoever it happens to be emailed me and said, listen, I just, I just read five of your blog posts. I can see some things you're working on. I also checked out, you know, your recent, you know, GitHub open source projects. And I have some ideas 
that I think would work really well for you guys um, that I'd like to explore with you. Here's a few of them just listed out. Wow. I mean, that that's mm-hmm. showing so much like um, engagement with what we're doing. That, to me, is interesting. That, to me, is like an introduction, right? I, I think what bothers me is that it's like it's just like getting picked up at a bar, you know? Like, if if you're going up to someone with a pickup line they've heard a hundred times before. It's just like this generic, like no personality, just like, it's just like all they want. recruiter email. <laughs> yeah, like all the, yeah, all they, yeah, recruiter email is a great way to put it, you know? Like, come on. Yeah, if, if you want, you know, um, my business or you want a relationship with me, you've got to really try. And, mm-hmm. you know, if, and maybe the, the uh, economics are just not worth it in that case, right? But, uh, I I think actually Gumroad is a great example of a company that's doing this well. And again, maybe I, I'm a bad example because I have a little bit of a profile. But you know, they reach out all the time personally, and you know, ask how things are going. They have suggestions. They have you know uh, ideas for things I could do. They ask if you know I can if they can feature me on their blog. You know, that kind of engagement is amazing. Um, and that's one good. Of the, they're working on the relationship side with you exactly and sometimes this is just simple like you know one of the things we did with sprintly is i i said let's find some of our like some customers that just love us and let's interview them about how they ship software and let's uh, publish it on our blog and you know it was just win-win for both of us they get exposure you know we've got a big list of i don't know over twenty thousand people and you know we we have uh i don't know maybe two thousand people on the follow the Twitter account. And so they got this content written about their company um, that, you know, they would have not had before. But and we got this great case study on on Sprintly. So I think things like that are are great ways to manage that relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, and plus we got to know about them. We we had conversation. Now all of a sudden, you know, there's this um, there's a bit of a relationship building there, right? Mm-hmm. So so, I, I, yeah, I think there's something about that. So what if, uh, to semi-turn the table on this as well, so obviously relationships are important and getting things done are important. Um, so what if you have a vendor that has done an awesome job, at, at least your point of contact, your named person, and they've done a great job in the relationship. Right? They they know what you want. They understand you. They you know, they fight for you. They do all that kind of stuff. Um, you're really happy working with them, but the product never improves. And, it, you know, then what do you do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think eventually, the, yeah, the product has to be, the product has to be good. It has to, it has to, um, it has to do the job that you're hiring it to do. Although I will say... <laughs> <laughs> that uh, I think it's amazing to me how often people can fill that gap. So as an example, I know some SaaS companies where the customer support people are, are uh, let's say, you know, uh, manually importing CSV files for people, like reformatting them, etc. Mm-hmm. And it's even systemized. It's like going through a form... But the customer uploads a CSV, but what the customer doesn't know is that there's just a real human being on the other side of that that's just grinding away, making that happen. And, you know, the reason is that, you know, maybe 
the so- the on the software engineering side they haven't been able to build it or it just like it'll yeah. never support it. I, people can go a long way. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of mileage you can get just from people, and there's also a lot of mileage you can get just from the fact that you know I know this other SaaS company that merely the fact that they had a phone number and there was someone people could call when things didn't work was almost enough to keep people. Now, I think at the end of the day, if someone else has a better product and they can also offer that level of relationship, they're going to win for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if, if, if it's just like, it's just like romantic relationships. Like, you know, if you're dating somebody and, you know, um, you know, that maybe something's not right and someone comes along that is, you know, more charming and really gets you and is, you know, like it, yeah. there's, there's no reason why you wouldn't switch, right? Unless you'd already, you know, committed to a lifelong <laughs> relationship. But, it, you know, when you're in that phase of like dating Just and you're kind of yeah. looking around, um, for sure, you know, if, 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 uh, a, a more reasonable match comes along, why wouldn't you take that opportunity? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think products are the same way. Although, like a committed lifelong relationship, romantic relationship, a lot of people will stick with a vendor just because they've been with them forever. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you know, it's like Olaf at the bank. Sure, yeah, that other bank's got better lending rates, but I've just been with Olaf forever. He knows me. And, um, and yeah, it's hard that, to put a value on that. It's, it is hard to put a value on that. So it's hard, it's hard to figure that stuff out. I, I, I still think uh, having a good product is important. Um, and I think people will switch for a number of reasons. But often those reasons are, are more emotional than we maybe admit. The reasons people you know, switch from one product to another are are often um, not, they're, they're not yeah. like rationally based. I, I've seen people move products just because you're like the one person on the call and it was just a one, one off, like they just, they were cold. They you know, just it, no, didn't help me at all. So forget yeah. it. It's only X dollars a month. I don't need this. There's plenty of them out in the sea per se. Yeah. Not, not that that's true. Just <laughs> that's just the way they felt. So yeah. that that actually plays very well into my next question, if I can. Um, sure. So because it's it still comes down to people, and because you have people making the decisions, we tend to be somewhat emotionally invested in our decision-making um, mm-hmm. abilities. So how do you maintain it? Or how does one maintain um, equality? So equality and the distance between one and two. And what I mean by this is two people walk up and they both tell you, this is what I want. Mm-hmm. And it's basically up to you to ensure their number one priorities. You're not assuming they're all the same, that you value one the same as the other, not, uh, not alter them. Um, and I, I know first impressions always always adjust people's uh, thoughts and feelings, including the ideas themselves. Um, and when you get into a lot of people, you're still <laughs> trying to maintain that balance and trying to maintain objectivity over it. Um, that 
that can be hard at, at times because you're like, you know, people tend to not only stick with particular companies or particular products um, just because of their relationship, but you'll hear an idea and it may not be the right one when you start calculating out, well, you know, we can have a better return on this, but they're like, we have to have that. We have to have that. And you get people excited at a company to want to build it and the decision makers. And, you know, I've seen this before where, I mean, you can find a Dilbert, <laughs> plenty of Dilberts on this where, well, you know, the CEO came back from the trade company or the uh, trade conference and we, we suddenly have to implement this thing. I don't even know what it is. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. So, um, so what's the question? Like, are you asking yeah, like, I how, how, just how, like, wait a minute, I'm not sure I actually uh, gave you a clear question out of that. Like how you balance all those, all those perspectives. How, so w when I try calculating this stuff out and I, to, to balance this, I try and be a little bit more metric based than subjective based if I can. So one of these things that come into play for equality between two people is if, if two people come up to you and they have a number one and a number two priority, um, at what stage should a person's, I don't know, number one priority not be? Like I've got an example where it's basically, sorry, three people and I keep talking about two, where two of them vote one way and another one votes a different way. And so obviously two thirds want this direction. So you go that direction to start with, but then you get down to the next thing and the other two people want per se the same. They're both harmonizing going this other direction, but you still have this other person, this other customer out there that I still have my number one. I still, this thing is still really important to me. And at some point you always, as a product manager, you always have to decide at what point is the customer's number one less valuable than these other customers' number two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, to, I, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of, um, as a disclaimer, I'm going to say that, <laughs> you know, we've got all this data that all these companies are, you know, products are collecting and, and every time I get into, as a consultant, every time I get into someone's data, I realize they, the, the data is much more dirty and much more general than we wish it was. So, mm -hmm. um, that, uh, you know, there, in an ideal world, I would be able to quickly figure out the economic impact of anything that's being suggested um, by looking at, you know, what is the value of this customer versus this customer? How many customers are like this customer versus this customer? Uh, but in you know actual practice, it's a lot harder to get that information, um, even though uh, technically it's possible when you actually get into what people actually collect and have the ability to kind of slice and dice. Uh, it, it's not as easy as that, oh. but but that is one signal is. You know, if customer one is worth $5,000 and they've been with you for 10 years and customer two is paying $20 a month and they've been with you s six months, um, the only reason I would, you know, take 
customer two's priority over customer one is if I feel like there's way more customer twos out there um, and that they're worth you know the risk of you know building this thing so that we can get more people like them and they're eventually going to be worth way more than you know that that bigger customer. Mm-hmm. But e- economic value is a is a pretty big signal for me. Um, the and especially in like understanding, you know, if I went to both customers or even, yeah, both customers and I said, okay, you know, we're, we're planning our next quarter right now and we've got this thing we could build and we've got this thing we could build. We're going to charge this much money to add this feature. Would, are you prepared to pay for that? Um, that again becomes a great signal Uh, to me, like almost everything kind of starts and stops at what, people are willing to pay for because uh, if you're yeah. building products that's the only thing that matters and I, I can tell you there's um, again another co- company I consulted for they had thousands and thousands of free users who were making the data the customer feedback we had very kind of muddy there's a lot of noise because these people were requesting all sorts of things mm-hmm. but they, they were not, never going to pay yeah, but if you could, if if you're okay with it, so if if that's your product and you're okay with those free customers, if you had a way, and maybe you work this out with with them or or straighten this out with them, of saying, you know, the free customers, we we still want to hear from them, um, but we're not gonna in the overall percentage of things going to a hundred percent, we're we're not gonna value. Um, your idea is more than say five percent, ten percent, whatever of the total. Mm-hmm. If you if you had that way, that ability to um, limit it or restrict it in that way, so you can still listen to them and still mm-hmm. let them kind of roll their own roost and maybe even harmonize with the other groups, but not 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 overrule it just by sheer population because you're always going to have more. Well, you, it's common to have more free customers. Mm-hmm and paid because <laughs> people love free services. Yeah. I would prefer a, for most like B2B applications, I would prefer a kind of, uh, you know, uh, rolling waiting depending, depending on how much they're paying and how long they've paid. Um, so like, if I had if I had a way of saying okay, all those ten dollar a month customers who've only been paying five months, mm-hmm. I want them to have less of a voice than the three thousand dollar a month customer who's been paying us for twenty years, and I want to give some sort of waiting weight to that person. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's based on LTV, uh, lifetime value. That would be an interesting one. So based on your LTV, that's what determines how much of a voice you get. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, there'd have to be other factors because the other factor is potential for growth. So if you only have one customer that will ever be that $3,000 a month customer and there's no one else in the world that you, you know, it's very unlikely you'll get another one, then, you know, that, that would have to factor in somewhere. But that okay. is an interesting idea of having, you know, a, a distribution of of weightings depending on, you know, how how much people are paying you, mm-hmm. how much they've paid you, uh, <laughs> the LTV of that person 
determines, you know, how much of a voice they get. That is super interesting. And possibly even some auto balancing of, say, the scope of effort around the item to be done so that it can. Yeah. You I know, because when you were talking about, well, you know, we can get this one thing knocked out in, in, in a week. That's really interesting because you can see the value yeah. that comes out of it. Totally. Well, and you know the other signal where a lot of applications are missing is is what is the risk? What is the mm-hmm. risk uh, in terms of churn? And so, uh, you know, on one side we're interested in how many more people are going to sign up because of this. But the other one we're interested in is how many people are going to stay because of this. Yeah. And um, <laughs> that, that, that would have to factor in there too, right? If if you have a big customer that, you know, they basically uh, ensure that your business can keep the lights on every month and they are saying, we need this thing, um, it, you know, having them turn out would be, you know, devastating. And so that would have to factor in, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't want to lose business either. So I, I think, yeah, those are interesting. And we don't ha- we often don't make decisions based on that uh, because it's difficult to get those numbers right so there's like but when you can i mean like each idea and or each item because it's hard to say an item is a feature an item is a a problem someone created but it can live there for a while until someone fixes it um for each item that actually has to be addressed it, it it's maturity should be how well stated it is, how um, well broken down it is, how how much you know all those other factors that you're you're talking about. What, what's the money that can come out of it? What's the churn rate? What's who who's who wants it? Who doesn't want it? All that kind of stuff. I I think that helps to define what is really a, ma- a mature work item versus others. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and the the other factor here mm-hmm. is that. Um, you know, in most organization organizations, what ends up winning in terms of what gets prioritized is whatever is presented by the best salesperson. Of course. And so, <laughs> and so that is another factor is that, um, you know, the anything, any you, you could have those kinds of uh, tools that would like allow you to survey people and provide all that data. But then you need to get that data into the right people's hands, and those people need to be at the right meetings. And um, I, I could see the potential of that because if you could send me a, you know, an email on Monday morning, right before all my meetings, saying, you know, we've we've uh, crunched a bunch of data, and we can see that this customer, this type of customer, is you know upvoting this feature in your user voice, you know, forums or something. And that customer represents, um, you know, $100,000 in LTV. Mm-hmm. And we also know that in the pipeline, we've got a bunch more like them. So that all of a sudden is this like data I can bring to a meeting and then use to sell the rest of the organization on, you know, this is why we should go this way. Um, but there's definitely that piece of like a lot of these kind of tools have to kind of enable people to do the selling themselves to be the champion. Mm-hmm. And um, that's actually like we just 
we just bought a chart mogul for a, a customer, which is just a, a reporting application that sits on top of Recurly. Mm-hmm. And we basically purchased it for the only for the sole reason of allowing us to log in before a meeting, grab all the revenue charts we need, and take them to the meeting. Like <laughs> yeah. that's what that's why we're hiring that product. Um, and they're giving us all the data that we need, mm-hmm. but they're you know the 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 real kind of reason we're hiring them is because we want the the job to be done is I want to have that data so I can present it at a meeting and then help set some direction. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We've got a product or two like that where we eventually got rid of it because it was built into a different product. So we didn't have to buy a separate one to overlay that, but um, we don't use Recurly. So yeah, not to go that direction, but I believe we're getting close on time for you. Yeah, yeah, correct? I should probably take off pretty quick. So I, yeah, I I appreciate your time, uh, especially as much time as you've been able to provide. And uh, yeah, thanks. It's been absolutely awesome. I, good, good. I hope that yeah, I hope I hope, uh, <laughs> I hope that was helpful. Were were you, was there anything else that you you felt like you want to quickly address that we didn't get into? I could I could ask one other question. I don't think it takes a long conversation. Sure. Who who do you think are a few companies, uh, products, or people that you think are doing a great job at prioritizing their product or service overall? Um, I think uh, I really like what Josh Pickford's doing at Bear Metrics. I think he has, um, you know, he's built something that people want. He proved it with people. And it was interesting because he was able to compare two products. He had another product and then he started Bear Metrics. And he was able to see how uh, kind of how much more Bear Metrics took off, like how much more successful Bear Metrics Metrics was in terms of compared to the other product. And he's just done a great job of like, uh, prioritizing features for users, of being really connected with users, of you know reaching out to them on Twitter, reaching out to them through email, reaching out to them on webinars and things like that. Like he just very visible. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to conferences and talking to people. I really like what he's doing, um, and I think you know when he when he's building stuff, it, it's clear it's in you know there's a there's a relationship there between, you know, what paying customers are asking him for and, <laughs> and, you know, what not. So, uh, I think he's doing a great job. I, I think what Nathan's doing lately is amazing. I, I was an oh, early yeah. convert kit, convert kit customer. And uh, initially when he was not kind of in this mode of really focusing on the product, I just kind of felt like, Oh man, this, this product's not really going anywhere. Um, and lately it just feels like all the time, I getting I'm getting a new email from him saying you know we built this thing here's a new thing, um, and it's all stuff that you know I've been wanting. It's all stuff that uh, you know he's clearly prioritizing what people are asking for, and uh, I I I you know I've gone from thinking ah oh, maybe I should leave and go some go back to something else to okay I'm I'm never leaving like this is he's given me exactly what I need to succeed. 
Thank you for listening. Show notes, links, and resources are available at NoPriorities.com. Help the show by subscribing, rating, and commenting in iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at NoPriorities. That's K-N-O-W Priorities. And once again, thank you for your time. I'm Randy Skopasek. Have a great day.